This podcast is brought to you by Pop Spotting, a new podcast coming this summer covering pop culture and, frankly, anything Jen wants to talk about. Movies, music, television, books, plus interviews, trivia contests, and much more. Learn more at popspotting.net. The Transmission, episode 85, February 21st, 2010. Tea? Now there's a gentleman's drink. I don't believe we've met. Ben Linus, European history. John Locke, substitute. Well, welcome. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're here to discuss the fourth hour of season six, The Substitute. Up next, we'll recap it in under eight minutes. Then we'll hear your feedback on the episode in You All, Everybody. We'll hear another fun song from the other's Lost band. And finally, we'll cover the last week of Lost production in The Forward Cabin. Are you ready? Let's get lost. So, the substitute, let's pick it up off the island. Locke drives up to a suburban home in a van, but his wheelchair ramp gets stuck halfway down and he falls onto the lawn just as the sprinklers come on. He laughs at himself as Helen comes out to help him. We learn that she's planning their wedding. She finds Jack's business card and tells Locke that running into a spinal surgeon might be destiny. Locke returns to the box company, but Randy finds out that he skipped out on the conference in Sydney and fires him. Locke leaves leaves the office only to find a yellow Hummer blocking his van. Hurley appears and apologizes and introduces himself as the owner of the box company. Locke says he was just fired and Hurley says you can go to my temp agency. At the temp agency, Locke is asked by Hurley's fake psychic what kind of animal he'd be and if he's a people person. Locke asks to speak to her supervisor who turns out to be Rose. Locke says he wants to be a construction site coordinator, but Rose says that he needs to be realistic. When Locke asks what she knows about being realistic, she says that she has terminal cancer. Rose says she had to learn to get past denial and get back to living life and that they'll find a job that Locke can do. The next morning, Locke dials Jack's office but hangs up. He tells Helen that he's not going to call and that he got fired from his job just as Oceanic returns his suitcase full of knives. He tells Helen about the walkabout. Locke says he's, that he's sick of imagining life out of his wheelchair or walking her down the aisle because it's not going to happen. He tells her not to wait for a miracle, but she says that miracles happen, but the only thing she's been waiting for was him. She rips up Jack's card. Locke's job is at a school, and he goes from teaching gym to sex ed. He then goes to the teacher's lounge to find another teacher complaining about the coffee maker. Turns out it's Ben, who says he teaches European history. Locke introduces himself as a substitute. Now, on the island, we get the smoke monster's eye view flying over the island past Sawyer's cabin in Othersville and into the jungle. Unlock materializes and cuts Richard down from the trees. He apologizes and tells Richard that he just wants him to come with him. Richard asks why he looks like Locke, and Unlock explains that it got him access to Jacob as Locke was a candidate. Richard has no idea what Unlock is talking about, and Unlock says he would have never kept Richard in the dark and would have treated him with respect. He tells Richard that he'll tell him everything if Richard comes with him, but Richard says no. Unlock says people don't usually get a second chance. Just then, Unlock noticed 
notices a young boy brightly illuminated in the jungle with blood on his arms and hands, but Richard doesn't see anything. Unlocke walks away. Meanwhile, at Jacob's beach lair, Ben finds Ilana crying. She asks what happened, and he says John Locke killed her friends and Jacob. She asks where Jacob's body is, and Ben says it burned away in the fire. Ilana then collects some of the ash in a bag. Ben asks why Unlocke took Richard, and Ilana says he's recruiting. Sure enough, back at New Otherton, Unlock goes to see Sawyer. Sawyer tells him to get out of his house, but Unlock says it's not his house. Sawyer knows Unlock isn't Locke and says he knows because Locke was scared even when he was pretending that he wasn't. Unlock says he can explain why Sawyer is on the island. Sawyer follows him into the jungle, but Unlock sees the creepy boy again. This time, Sawyer sees him too, and Unlock chases after him. He trips and lands at the boy's feet, and the boy says, Remember the rules. You can't kill him. Unlock says, Don't tell me what I can't do. The boy walks away. Richard finds Sawyer and tells him they need to get back to the temple, but Sawyer says he's going with Unlock, even though he knows he's not really Locke. Sawyer says he has answers, but Richard says he wants everyone dead. When Unlock returns, Richard runs off. Back on the beach, Sun says everyone left for the temple. Ilana explains that it's the safest place and that it's probably where Jin is if he's alive. Sun says they need to bury Locke first. Ben asks why Ilana brought Locke's body and Ilana says so it's they knew who they were up against. She says that Unlocke is now stuck in Locke's form. They bury Locke at the beach camp graveyard and Ben gives a eulogy saying Locke was a better man than he was and that he's sorry he murdered him. Meanwhile, back in the jungle, Sire pulls a gun on Unlock and asks what he is. Unlock says that he's trapped, but he was once a man like him who felt joy, pain, betrayal, and loss. Unlock says Sawyer can shoot him, but it'd be a shame since they're so close. They reach a steep cliff and Sawyer follows Unlock down a ladder. Unlock switches to a rope ladder just as Sawyer's ladder comes loose, and Sawyer nearly falls to his death, but Unlock rescues him and leads him into a cave. In the cave, there's a scale with a white and black rock on each side, and Unlock grabs the white rock and throws it out into the ocean. He says it's an inside joke. Unlock shows Sawyer a number of names scrawled on the cave walls and says Jacob wrote them, and as Unlock points them out, we see flashes to when Jacob visited each of them. Shepard, Reyes, number 8, Gerard, number 16, Quan, number 40, too, but it could be Sun or Jin. Lock number four and Unlock crosses out his own name. Finally, Ford number 15. Unlock says Jacob probably came to him when he was young and vulnerable and pushed him to the island. Sawyer asks why he would do that. Unlock says that Sawyer is a candidate, a possible successor to Jacob as a protector of the island. So Sawyer can do nothing and see how it plays out and possibly get crossed out, or he can accept the job and protect the island, even though it's a joke since the island doesn't need protecting despite all the lives Jacob has wasted. Or, Unlock says, Sawyer can go with him and they get off the island. Sawyer asks how they do that and Unlock says together. He asks Sawyer if he's ready to go home and Sawyer replies, hell yeah. And And thud. thud. That was the fourth hour of season six of Lost, the substitute in under eight minutes. And we're going to take a quick break to catch our breath. When we come back, we'll share our thoughts on this episode. So how did you like The Substitute? It was amazing. This was just <laughs> absolutely chock full of, I mean, you know, from Locke and Helen's relationship to what Unlock shows Sawyer. It's just 
full of jaw-dropping moments. I agree. I mean, you know, we're seeing what the writer said they'd give us, which is more of a season one feel. I did have that sense, but definitely in terms of feeling like the end game, feeling like the last lap here of Lost and needing to give you answers and explanations for what's been going on, this episode paid off in droves. And I think a large part of it, I mean, last week we had some complaints about how the flash sideways off the island was just a little strange. It was mm-hmm. okay, but just not great. But it all comes down to Terry O'Quinn just oh, yeah. sold it in both yeah. universes. He's playing completely different characters in the same episode. We're switching back and forth between two different locks. There's Lock off the island, who we learned was not allowed to go on his walkabout, as we saw, but yeah. perhaps is coming to terms with his lot in life, and things are going relatively well with Yeah, uh, I Helen. mean, Helen and he look very happy. Right, and on, and on the island, of course, he's the all-knowing, but still, now we learn somewhat possibly shaken man in black yeah. just going around recruiting people. So, altogether, a great package. Um, let's start with the off-the-island stuff, though. Um, some people thought that the life that Locke was living was, again, sad and pathetic, Locke. I'm not sure if I feel that way. Well, he gets fired from his job, and he's not able to complete his goal of a, of a walkabout, but he still seems to be pretty fulfilled. He's able to get a new job. He has Helen. You know, he seems to have... You know, he might be going through a hard time, but he still has it together. Well, I mean, the things that he's told both by Helen and by Rose, I think, are really key. I mean, again, the dialogue might be a little overwrought, but it's really about coming to terms and accepting, you know, being realistic. And I like that when the the answer to don't tell me what I can't do, in a sense, comes from Rose, which is let's mm-hmm. find you a job that you can do. And then the whole conversation with Helen that, you know, um, I don't want you to wait for me. And she goes, look, miracles happen, but all I want is you. I do get the feeling that, you know, this lock is at peace or is on his way to being at peace. That mm-hmm. the scene we saw in the walkabout travel agency, as he described it here, being humiliated and yelling, I think that for this lock might be his lowest point. That yeah. despite he lost losing his job and despite falling on the lawn, I mean, he laughed at himself when that happened. And yeah, I think yeah. that was a really important illustration about what's going on. Of course, there were some really curious bits of dialogue with Helen. Helen suggests that they have a shotgun wedding and that they invite Locke's dad. Right. I mean, well, the shotgun gun thing it just made me think of i thought there was a gun involved when Locke went hunting with his dad and yeah well believe... they were hunting birds so you would think right, so yeah. but there was sort of the theory back then that that was how Locke ended up paralyzed because his dad uh-huh. shot him of course it was something even more dramatic and i guess basically on that point it seems it sounds like that his dad is still alive they're on relatively good terms well yeah so, you would think so so how does how does that play into what's going on are we going to see Locke's dad again Locke's dad played a huge role in the life of the john Locke that we knew he you know he conned Locke out of a kidney. He abandoned him as a child. He pushed him out of a window. So I think at this point forward, if we see that Locke and his father have a good relationship, it will really change the the way that we see Locke. Right. I mean, I think those who are upset that the sideways flashes are kind of robbing us of the character development we knew, I think that they might have a point here because, you know, that lifelong issue of abandonment and trust and and daddy issues was so key to Locke and now you know he might just be wandering around as a a happy old man yeah and he was he played a big role in Sawyer's life as well so is Anthony Cooper not do that either so there's a lot of stuff that could happen now in this sideways flash I'm really curious how they're going to do it I can see some reason for pause because yes this is these are not necessarily the characters we knew but but in this episode at least better than last week's episode they sold that sideways story so much better that 
that I was again I sold on what they were doing there. Of course, once again, we had other familiar faces from other places turn up, you know, mysteriously. As we mentioned, the woman that interviewed Locke at the temp agency was the fake psychic uh-huh. that Hurley's dad hired and tried to get him to take off his clothes to beat the uh, curse. Right. And we also see Rose, which is very curious because I wonder why doesn't Rose recognize Locke from the plane? Right. I mean, they were both on 815. So in a way, kind of the fact that they might be encountering each other could explain some look of recognition. I actually think that the writers missed an opportunity there because if they basically made Rose and Locke kind of look at each other like, do I know you from someplace? Mm-hmm. They could they could play with us because of the airplane thing. But no, so that didn't happen. And of course, Randy turned oh, up again. Randy. Well, I I have such mixed feelings about Randy. Obviously, he's a very obnoxious person. (laughs) But on the other hand, what would you do if you were Randy and you found out your employee lied to you? Well, I guess, you know, there's various ways to handle that. um, But I think what we got was the judgment from Hurley himself, who said that he's just he's such a huge douche. So um, (laughs) I don't think I'm going to try very hard to defend Randy in that place. But again, you know, these weird crossovers, just like, uh, you know, Goodspeed or Ethan Goodspeed turning up in Kate's story as well. I, I on one hand, it sounds like, you know, there maybe this might just be fan service. But remember, since season one of Lost, we've had these weird encounters. You know, mm-hmm. Sawyer got hauled into the same police station where Boone went to go talk about his sister. Yeah. And uh, uh, Sawyer running into the door of Anthony Cooper when she when he's in Australia. I with kind Anna of Lucia, like so. that we're going back to that because it, it really kind of brings it back to that season one feeling where you knew they were going somewhere with this. And now that this season kind of mirrors season one, I I kind of have ideas about how it's all going to end. And it's, I kind of like that. Well, what I like to think about that, the way I like to think about that is that, you know, we get the sense that there's a cycle that maybe there are now candidates and people chosen being brought or nudged toward the island that, you know, this could be one of several trips or one of several attempts. And so the way that, you know, Sawyer and uh, Boone ended up in the same police station or all of these other encounters that we saw just by chance in season one is exactly what has been happening all this time that what we're seeing now is not new I think is basically my point now I did like some of the other little touches off the island like when Locke's wheelchair ramp fails and it makes sort of a clicking sort of failing mechanical sound that made me think of the smoke monster but also you know it was like (laughs) Uh, it doesn't work for him and then it fails for him again with Hurley's you know he wants to, he purposely he's, he's got this mean streak at that point he wants to hit Hurley's yeah. Hummer and I thought that it was telling that it just doesn't hit his Hummer on one hand that maybe that's telling Locke that he shouldn't do something like that but on the other it's because Hurley is the luckiest guy on it, earth so it just made that's me, not gonna happen it made me think though that the tiniest little things can affect the outcome of somebody's whole life like what if Locke hadn't pounded on Hurley's car and Hurley hadn't come out and offered him a position at the temp agency. Right. I mean, and of course, that leads to the last weird, you know, crossover face that we recognize in these flash sideways, and that was good old Benjamin Linus turning right. up at the, at the school. Yeah, he's a European history teacher, which actually, that was my favorite subject in high school, well, European I, history. That just kind of figures. I mean, I, I think that he was pitch perfect in that role. I mean, that's, of course, that's how Benjamin Linus would turn out if he never came to the island. He just sort of grew up as a, as Uptight, a, yeah, a nerdy kid. Persnickety, yeah. Persnickety, exactly. Exactly. I, I, so although it does make you wonder, again, in this sideways timeline, where was the branch? Where was the fork? I mean, uh, if it goes all the way back to Anthony Cooper and, and Sawyer's parents, if it uh-huh. goes only as far back or before, you know, uh, B- Benjamin Linus's dad.
dad. You know, now we got to wonder, did Benjamin Linus's mom necessarily die? I mean, what, yeah. where, how far back does, do have things changed? But we should definitely get to the island because I think in terms of answers, that's where a lot of stuff definitely happened. The cave sequence alone, there's just so much information that you can't even really see it on your first viewing. You, you, there's so many names crossed off. Yeah, I mean, you have to go back and look again. Many, many more names, I thought, than what, you know, first of all, we have sort of an explanation or an early explanation of the numbers. And yeah. so we have this, the, the, the numbers that we know, but the cave shows us there were a lot more numbers and a lot more names. So I thought that was certainly very, very key. And of course, we get the Man in Black's explanation that all of these people, including our friend Sawyer, were candidates mm-hmm. at, you know, what they called, uh, you know, Frank Lapidus as well. But they were all candidates as a replacement for Jacob as a protector of the island. Mm-hmm. So do you think that, well, at all of those people have been subjected to the same kind of experiments and nudging toward the islands as our? I think that's the implication. There. That is certainly the implication. But I think the names that are missing from the wall are more telling than the names that are on the wall. Such as Kate. Kate, yeah. Why do you think she's not on the wall? Didn't didn't Mikhail tell her that she was not on the list because she was angry and weak or, or something like yes, that? Yes, that was Mikhail that told her explicitly that you're not on the list. Right. And so that's important. But if that's important, then what about Jack? You know, Danny Pickett says to somebody that, you know, what? why are we messing with this Jack Shepard guy? He's not even on Jacob's list. Well, there and, is a shepherd on the cave, but I guess it could be Christian. Right. I, that's what I'm thinking it might be. I mean, they, they, they had fun with the ambiguity with Jin and Son, you know, which... Right. Quan it is, but there are more than one shepherd running around. You've got uh, Jack or Christian, or you might want to go all the way back to Grandpa. Or arguably Claire. Claire could be a shepherd, although there was another name on the wall. Littleton. Littleton. Presumably that was Claire, unless there's another Littleton running around. Um, So, but definitely a TiVo moment. You're going to, you know, and thank God for sites like Lostpedia that basically screen cap the heck out of it and get the whole list of names. Mm -hmm. Um, We noticed that that Kate wasn't there and um, the whole thing about Quan's, but you know, there was no Lapidus. Frank, we've explicitly heard that he's a candidate. He wasn't on That's that true. list. But more curiously, you've got names like Fernandez, whose last name is Fernandez. Nikki. That's right, Nikki. So he was up there. Fernandez was up there as 321. We had Strom, like Miles Strom was oh, crossed really? out as 171. So is Miles not a candidate? Is there another Strom? I mean, it starts, it, you can go all over the place with this. Uh, so Littleton was there as number 313. There were a lot of, you know, a lot of the names that were pointed out by the man in black were male. So someone posted on our blog that maybe Maybe that's right. what's going on. But if you looked at all of the other names, there was Lewis for Charlotte, right. uh, Rousseau for Danielle, and uh, uh, Rutherford for Shannon and, right. and, and Burke as uh-huh. well. So, I mean... That, that, so that wasn't necessarily it. There's there's hundreds of names on that on that wall for people to well, to try and figure out. Ben does say that there's more than one list. In fact, there's probably lots of lists. Right, right. And that there are children on one or more of the lists. And you know, because he says to Juliet, "Who are we to question uh, Jacob putting the kids on the list?" That's true. That's true. So some of those last names that we don't recognize are probably Zach and Emma's last names. Could be, for example. yeah. Now, what did you think about what the Man in Black said that? The whole thing is a joke that Jacob's trying to protect this island and it doesn't even need the island. It's going to be fine without these people. Well, we do see the island at the bottom of the ocean. Right. I think that either the man in black is deluded or, I mean, because it seems like he really believes that, but he's clearly trying to con Sire into doing something. So right. that might be it as well. But obviously there are bigger stakes than that. I mean, you had expressed some concern that, especially with this episode, we're getting the sense that the entire show is a big contest, a big game. 
game, a big conflict, surely, but it's between two players, you know, basically fighting it out. And, and that might not necessarily be enough for you. We've spent so much time with these characters that there needs to be some kind of closure for all of them. There needs to be some kind of resolution. I, I personally need to know that they've learned something in this whole experience and, and that they, they're either happy or they come to terms with not being happy. And if it's just a game between two opposing sides, it completely negates everything that we've learned about the characters. Well, you know, I'm not saying, and I'm, I'm, I don't think you're saying that we want there to be a happy ending or no. a neat resolution. I mean, I like the line that Sawyer or the, that the man in black says in response to Sawyer's story. Uh -huh. That doesn't sound like a happy ending. Is I think it would be kind of great and you know gutsy for the show to not necessarily give us a happy ending, but I do agree that there's a narrative that needs an ending. No, I just uh, want it to all mean something. Right, and I think it, it will. I mean, the, the, the line that really caught in my head was when he throws the white rock out the ocean and he goes, uh -huh. inside joke. And you're like, <laughs> well, I hope that what they're not saying is that this entire show is like an inside joke between these two. Yeah. But the piece of evidence that we have that there are still, you know, a bigger, uh, bigger things at stake in addition to the sunken island is the new now entity kind of glowing in the light running around right. on the island, the creepy little boy. Uh -huh. Who do you think that young bloody boy is? Aaron? I, I, I mean, it seems to be a decent and popular choice. It's a blonde boy. And, you know, we've got sort of the, the, the Aaron certainly was special, born on the island, etc. But uh -huh. uh, actually, a couple of our callers, including Bacon from Brooklyn, calls him Taller Ghost Aaron. Oh, and I think that's great. Th the key to that is that it's sort of like Walt, you know, a child that might be special, that appears somewhere where he's not supposed to be and, and, uh -huh. and, and passes on important messages to, to these characters. But, you know, I think it was important that they showed us that the this bloody boy was somebody who scared the man in black. Yeah, he absolutely scared the man in black. Well, and, and he appeared twice to the man in black and the first time Alpert didn't see him and so, uh -huh. you know, the man in black just sort of wanders around like, okay, I guess that's just a vision or that's not anything to worry about. But as soon as Sawyer says, yeah, mm -hmm. what, what, what about that? He chases after him and freaks out. It's clearly something that shakes him. So, now we found something that shakes what we thought was the highest players in this game, and they're giving us the suggestion that they're pulling yet another you know, layer back, another layer of the onion, and uh -huh. this is someone who's even higher than them, reminding them of the rules. And I'm not sure. That might be one more layer than I'm comfortable with. I, <laughs> I think it, I'd like it if it was something more like it's Aaron or, or, or uh, Zach or you know some other child yeah. that's important here on the island. Why do you think that he was all covered in blood? There's another theory that he's young Jacob and um, the, the blood symbolizes the last, I guess, the last physical fight that he had with the man in black at, when they were kids. Well, the whole thing, the whole conversation from the man in black that I used to be a man and I was betrayed, I mm -hmm. felt, you know, uh, lost. Um, that kind of seemed like maybe, yeah, I, I can see where that theory would come from that this young child we're seeing, it might be the returning spirit of Jacob. That might be something that's enough to scare the man in black, but yeah. also a depiction of that betrayal, you know, that, that, that there is blood on someone's hands here. So I at least thought that it was a nice dramatic touch. It reminded me of The Sixth Sense. How so? The movie, well, because um, the kid in the movie sees oh, right. dead kids other kids that's yeah. true but yeah definitely definitely creepy stuff why do you think it is that sawyer could see this kid but not albert specifically i don't know the only guess that i have is only candidates can see him that's possible i mean clearly there's something special but so maybe the same way that only hurley can see jacob 
Well, actually, no, that doesn't work because Jin, you know, he specifically says that Jin can't see me when he comes back to the van. Oh, right. But Jin is a, Jin's a candidate too. For but it. how do we know Jin's oh, a candidate? Oh, you're right. Well, that might be a way to disprove that Jin is not the Quan they're talking about because specific, that's kind of cool. I don't know. I mean, uh, clear, I mean, I think candidates are obviously special. The little boy tells uh, the man in black, you know, remember the rules, you can't kill him. And uh, well, well, does that mean that you can't kill candidates, that that's against the rules in this game? I... I don't know. Well, let's see. Said was a candidate, and he's either dead or dying or true, possessed true. or s- something. And Locke, actually. Locke was a candidate, and he's definitely dead. You know, yeah, There's a that's body true. being buried. So, yeah, I'm not sure what that line necessarily means either. This is a little more complicated than I, I thought it was. In terms of rules and the constraints of this universe that we're living in, we also hear from Ilana that the man in black, Unlock Smokey, cannot change his face because he's stuck like that. He's stuck in the form of John Locke. I don't know what to think about that because remember they're they're in the um, the temple and he's Unlock is is or the man in black is Locke, but then he goes away and he comes back as Alex. So within a few minutes, he's Locke and right, Alex. Right. And that was after the plane crash. That was after we presumed that the man in black was now a player running around right. in the form of, of Locke as Unlock. And in fact, he was also a smoke monster in that scene. He was in three different forms in that scene. Oh, that's scene. right, yeah. So what does that mean? When was he stuck? How was he stuck? And, and, and when did that happen? I'm, I, I'm I don't know. I'm really unclear on that. And of course, one of the coolest sequences in this episode is when we see him as the smoke monster. And uh-huh. it's, it's suggested that he transforms into Locke. So, that's a you know, great sequence. It I, was. I love that sequence. But he's going back and forth there. And so, you know, again, and actually when he was chasing the little boy through the jungle and he's trying to catch him and then he trips and falls and he's kind of humiliated that way. Yeah. Why doesn't he just become the smoke monster? Clearly he's a better, you know, tracker, chaser, oh, yeah. killer as the smoke monster. I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, there, some people have suggested that there's more than one smoke monster. But I think, that I think again, that's just another layer or just a little more, com- you know, complexity that I'm willing to deal with at this point. I have a headache just thinking about Anything that. Anything else in the on, on the island that struck you? The the Ben um, the sequence um, the the eulogy that was great for Locke that was great great. I mean he really did step up I mean that was actually a good moment for Benjamin Linus because it was kind of pathetic Ilana goes didn't any of you know him who knew isn't anybody going to say something and he does and the best part is he starts off clearly with you know sort of bitterness in his mouth and he's going to say something terrible about Uh John Locke and then he goes he was a believer you know and he was a better man than I was and I thought that was great of him. And then, of course, he closes with, and I'm really sorry that I murdered him, which yeah. gets Lapidus to go, this is the weirdest damn funeral I've ever been I to. love that line. That ben has, line. I mean, um, Frank Lapidus has just some really great lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Sawyer, here's to being dead. Yep. <laughs> Cheers. I thought that was good. And actually, he says, I don't care if you're dead, time traveling, or the ghost of Christmas past. Get the hell out of here. So, <laughs> I guess that's a good nickname for Unlock as anything else, the ghost of Christmas past. So we're back to of mice and men. I thought that was pretty interesting. And, and, and I... I couldn't figure out at first why specifically the book was coming up mm-hmm. again, but I think it's basically what flashes through his head when he's being marched to a unknown destination by a powerful, you know, smart person. That's that's true because the first time he mentions it, he's about to be shown the other island by Ben. Right, he knows something's up. He figures uh-huh. that there's a big twist coming up. So I think, yeah, it just sort of invokes that scene with Lenny. <laughs> yeah, from the book. And and how about his taste in music? I had no idea he was into Iggy and the Stooges. <laughs> right. Well, you know. Know, the song a search and destroy has a lot of lyrics that sound a lot like a man who has nothing to lose and mm-hmm. certainly you know kind of indicative of our of our man Sawyer right now now I, I was curious what you thought about Albert Albert was a character who I think started
started off as a mystery, but kind of thug-like, you know, Mm -hmm. the whole thing during season three, but became someone who seemed to know everything. And then we saw with the whole time jumping and everything in season five that some of the things that Albert seemed to know about was planted there by Uh lock or unlock. And so he was just as you know, not in the know as we thought it was, but now we get to the point where he's this total spaz. He's freaking out. He's shaking. He's running through the jungle like a, a scared mouse. And he's like, we got to go. We mm-hmm. got to go back to the temple. I mean, what do you think is going on with our man Albert here? That scene where Albert grabs Ben and he shows Ben Locke's body and Ben gets that look on his face like, oh my God, what have I done? I think that that look on Ben's face and then the conversation that Alpert has with Ben later really rattled Alpert and Alpert really realizes now what's going on. Well, I, I, I th- that makes sense. I mean, clearly he's, he's come to the realization that the stakes are bigger than he thought. That was my first guess. Although, again, I was a little disappointed in sort of the turn his character took until I remembered, you know, we're getting the sense that Alpert was sort of immortal. He, he never aged. Mm-hmm. He might have had a tie to that temple. What I'm thinking is if he realizes that Jacob is dead he might just suddenly realize he's mortal. He might suddenly realize oh, that his true. that he's 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 in trouble because he's not safe anymore. And so he goes from being somebody who feels invincible to somebody who feels very very mortal. I think that might be where they're going at. Could but I be. Definitely, yeah. I definitely miss the old Albert. Well, before we go, I do like to go over the filming locations for these episodes. It's always great to see Hawaii playing different locations. Although right now Hawaii is pretty much playing Los Angeles. The uh-huh. the the home where uh, Locke lived with Helen is on Alelo Street in. Waikele. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing about that house, it is almost exactly across the street from the house that Locke inspects for Nadia. Oh, yeah? So it's kind of bizarre. And I think even because they pulled back the camera on that street scene, both in that episode with Nadia and this episode, I think you might be able to figure out they're in the same place. So I'm not uh-huh. sure if that was accidental or they're trying to say something about, you know, how things sort of are drawn together and are bound to happen. The first office where uh, Locke is uh, fired by Randy, that was at the Hawaiian Telecom building in downtown. Now, the interesting thing about that location is that they had to recreate or try to recreate those cubicles because the original location where they filmed with Randy didn't exist. And the reason why that's significant is the original location where they filmed with Randy was actually our office because that was Uh when our office was part of Robert's Hawaii, a local tour company. So we took over that part of the office. So it's doubly fitting that when they came back, they filmed in our office the scene where Locke is seeing the temp agency. Mm -hmm. It was really fascinating to see because um, they took over our, our IT department and they converted all of the cubicles. They put up little post-it notes and pictures and really made it look lived in. They basically mm-hmm. took you know actual lived in cubicles, cleaned them and turned them into fake lived in cubicles, which I thought was <laughs> bizarre. But the reason why I thought that was fascinating is they went, they put so much detail into the cubicles, but if you watch the scene, they don't use any of that. You just sort of see down the, down the hallway. So uh-huh. all of that work by the set decorators, you'd never see on screen. And I think that's just sort of proof of how much, you know, real quality work goes into Lost. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go to my Flickr uh, photo gallery, I'll try to link it in our blog, you can see pictures of all of the work. I mean, they actually had, you know, notes from one employee to another. Someone wrote a poem as a, a, a as an ode to boxes. And you, <laughs> again, you know, there is nothing of that in the, in the episode. Also, if you notice, by the way, when they filmed that scene, they're in the dark. They left the lights off, which I thought was strange when they really? were filming it. And it's strange to see it on screen because they're in this dark office. And you'll also notice in the, the teacher's lounge, 
that uh, the lights are off there as well. I personally think it's just that the cinematographer or the you know the director of photography doesn't like fluorescent lights and yeah. what it does, so they just left the lights off. Despite the fact that now I think there are people trying to design theories around why the lights are off uh, off the <laughs> island. Um, the uh, school was Waipahu High School, mm-hmm. so that's here in Central Oahu. Pretty cool to see that. And finally, uh, listener Dan wanted to know where the the cliffs were that Unlock left Sawyer to. Um, of course, uh, that's a very famous coastline here. Uh, it's called China Walls. It's off Port Lock near Hawaii Kai. And they've used it before in Lost. Mm-hmm. So clearly they had to do some digital compositing to make it look taller. And I think they moved the ocean to be right under them where it's not mm-hmm. necessarily there. And of course, to make it look different than the last time we saw, you know, that very distinctive coastline. It, it's a beautiful place to visit, um, but you have to be very brave and sure-footed. It's not a, not, not a location that I would send and any tourist to. I definitely wouldn't try to do it after dark. And definitely don't try to do it on a bamboo or rope ladder. But <laughs> that's for the locations. So that's our two cents. After a quick break, we'll hear from you all, everybody. Ryan and Jen. Holy freaking crap. Stomping North Carolina. Wow, guys. I don't even know where to begin on this episode. Um, lot of stuff was great. I love the opening sequence when he when it's him as a smoke monster and it zooms up on Sawyer's house. That was great. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Mr. Jacob calling to discuss the substitute and to paraphrase another listener, holy freaking polar bear crap. This may be the best lock episode since Walkabout. <clears throat> um, it might be odd to say, but it was kind of beautiful to see Locke get a happy story. You know, it was like a like a cold drink after five plus years of dehydration. And, uh, you know, is there anything better than seeing Ben Linus as a wiry teacher? Hey, Jen and Ryan, it's Trip from Alabama. I got to say, I really, really enjoyed this episode. Just like last week's episode, I enjoyed that, but it took me about a week to figure out what that was all about. But this week, what I got out of this one was, you know, up until this point, we've been thinking uh, good versus, uh, you know, evil. Uh, but now we're seeing things through uh, Man in Black or you know, fake Locke's eyes, and it looks like he's the good guy. And I think they're trying to steer us away from good versus bad or, you know, evil and say that uh, there's different shades of gray. Hello, Jen and Ryan. It's Mario calling from Houston. And I just finished watching The Substitute, uh, rewatching. And i got to admit that, again, the few scenes that Sawyer was in, he steals a lot of those. So my hat's off again to the acting there. Ryan and Jen, this is uh, Roger in D.C., uh, we're back on track now. Um, after last week's episode, I'm really excited about what's going to happen this season. Uh, this is a 180-degree turn from the previous episode, uh, which I think is what Kate does, uh, which which I thought was kind of a weak episode. This one came back a lot stronger uh, with some really, really good development in the story and tremendous acting by Josh Holloway and um, um, Terry O'Quinn. Hey, Ryan and Jen. It's Jackie from the Jersey Shore uh, calling about the episode, The Substitute, I have to say I absolutely loved the episode. It reminded me why I originally fell in love with this show in the first place back in 2004. Um, there was a lot of character investment that that's starting to pay off. Uh, how can you not love the interaction with Hurley and Locke and Locke and Ben and also Helen and Locke? Um, it reminded me of why John Locke was originally my favorite character on the show in the first place. 
we start things off here in you all, everybody, with some familiar voices, and it mm-hmm. seems everyone is pretty happy there with the substitute, the characters, the acting, and even what's going on in The Flash Sideways. We have more thoughts on that now from Susan, Jared, and Sopeka. Uh, I want to stay on the island. I do not want to leave it. These Flash Sideways are driving me crazy. Ben is a teacher. Curly owns every company in the world. Locke has the love of a beautiful woman and is still not happy. This is just making no sense at all. Please, let's just stay on the island. The island story is much more interesting. Keep us on the island. This is Suman from California. Love the podcast. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Jared Glenn for the Power Source Podcast. Just checking in on the season so far. I'm not sure if anyone has noticed, but when Darleton said that season six would be similar to season one, the similarity may not just be superficial. I'm rewatching season one with some friends right now, and while many of the scenes and the general feel of the season may be similar, that isn't all there is to it. So far, episode for episode, the seasons have been mirroring one another. Each episode focuses on similar characters, but with opposite themes. The first episode, if you choose to count two hours as one episode, focuses on strangers who crash in season one, whereas those same people become far more close on the plane that doesn't crash in season six. The second episode in both seasons focuses on Kate, but one is about how Kate was captured and the other is about how Kate escaped. Finally, the most recent episode centers on Locke, But where season one Locke is trapped and cut off from life, season six Locke is freed and presented with new opportunities that he is able to accept or deny. I just found it interesting. Anyways, great show. Thanks. Hi, Ryan and Jen. It's Sabeka calling about The Substitute, which we just saw last night. I loved it. And again, I loved the on-island stuff, but I was more emotionally touched by the off-island reality. Um, a lot of online comments seem to suggest that we don't know these characters. We've ignored six years of character growth for these new people who we don't know about. Um, but I find it really interesting because everything's the same, but everything's different. Um, I really enjoy seeing his growth and his happiness and the fact that he's finally reached peace and weirdly become a man of science, quite literally, as a substitute science teacher. Um, I'm glad that no matter what reality is somewhere out there, John Locke is happy and alive. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Thank you for your work. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. Well, on the flash sideways, Susan in California, not a big fan of them. Well, we heard from somebody last week who liked the off-island stuff better. Right. Well, I think that person might be in a minority, but I would say that this week's episode, they did... No, they did both perfectly. I I thought it was just really great. And so I'm even more, you know, impressed with how much I'm liking that. Um, Our friend Jared's pointing out, as as we did, that the creators have also said that season one is going to be, or season six is going to be like season one. Yeah. And I think he pointed out that the centricity of the story are kind of following who they focus. You know, the flashback-centric episodes are kind of going in the same order. Jan from France mentioned the same thing on the blog. So do you remember what the, I guess, episode five, six, and seven centricities were for season one pop quiz? Um, let's see. White Rabbit for Jack. Was, that was Jack, okay. House of the Rising Sun, Sun, and the Charlie episode? The Moth. The Moth. Okay, so, well... 
I can see that maybe next week we would have a Jack episode and the episode after that would be a Sun episode, but I'm not sure how we would do a Charlie episode in this, this order. Well, we do have a lot of new characters True. that we don't know, and we've they've said that we're going to get our Richard Alpert backstory. I can't so wait for maybe that. Maybe that's where they're going to slot it in. And finally, Sobeka in Boston, a lot of great comments there, but I didn't catch that, yes, Locke became a man of science. The man of faith becomes a man of science <laughs> because he's a science teacher. Very good catch there. Well, we've got more calls from Christine, Kevin, and Teresa. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Christine from Ohio. Great episode, of course. Uh, so glad to see John Locke with Helen. He seems really happy in this timeline. Before, if he would have fallen out of his wheelchair into the sprinklers, he would have gotten really upset. Now he kind of just laughs it off. Um, Helen mentioning inviting his father to the wedding, we know that Anthony Cooper couldn't have pushed him out of the window. So um, what I was thinking is he mentioned in his temp agency interview with Rose that he had construction experience. So maybe he fell out of a construction site or something. Maybe that's why he's in the wheelchair. I want to know how he learned about the walkabout because if he was never on 815, if never 815 never crashed, then Matthew Avedon wouldn't be pursuing him and pushing him to the island. So he must have heard about it some other way. Who knows? I'm going to go take some ibuprofen. Thanks for your podcast. Bye. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Kevin again from even snowier New Jersey. I'm about to eat a big helping of humble pie. I really gave... The flash sideways from Flack last week. But I felt that last night, the John Locke flash sideways, it felt like the writers were getting into a groove with the flash sideways. It almost felt like we were seeing deleted scenes from Walkabout. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a very uh, good way. The biggest thing that missed me about this episode was Helen ripping up Jack's card that he gave to Locke for the free consult. If you think about it, Jack fixing up Locke has a lot of parallels to Jack fixing up his, who would become his wife. You know, Locke is getting married, would probably like to dance at his own wedding, and um, has a condition that uh, other doctors have said is irreparable. And it would have been cool. It really would have been beautiful and poetic if Jack was fixing up Locke and the surgery turned out to be a success. It would have been even cooler to, if Jack leaned over to Locke and said, I'm going to fix you. <laughs> but maybe that would have been a little too dramatic. Great episode. Looking forward to the podcast. Bye. Hi, this is Teresa from Detroit. I'm a long-time listener, and this is my very first call. Uh, for a long time now, I've been kind of hooked on the island as Eden theory, which I don't believe so much as a literal theory as a sort of iconic, greater idea. And it's been really, really exciting so far this season. This week, what really got to me was uh, Smokey as Locke, as Flock, uh, speaking uh, to to, was it, oh gosh, was it Richard or was it Sawyer, about um, what you didn't know, what Jacob, it was Richard, what Jacob didn't tell you. That really, really reminded me of what the serpent said.
said to Eve, and I thought that the smoke monster was a serpent ever since I first saw it slithering around the island. Uh, what the serpent said to Eve, you know, what is God keeping from you? What don't you know? I would never hold that kind of information back from you. And uh, knowledge, as more than knowledge, knowledge is intimacy. It seems like the characters are all going to have to pick their sides now. Who are they going to know in the biblical sense? Who are they going to get down and dirty with? Are they going to get down and dirty with the light or the dark? That's all I have. Hope it was coherent. Great show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for those calls. Well, Christine wants to know, how did how did Locke get the bright idea to go on a walkabout in the first place? I don't, I don't know. I mean, in this timeline, maybe Abaddon is still alive. Or that has a, sort of that role for him? Like, Well, I mean, he would still have a physical therapist. He would still True. be going to therapy. So, I mean, maybe that could happen. But I think, you know, it goes back to what's the deal with Anthony Cooper if he's not a bad person? Does it yeah. also affect Sawyer? So there's a whole lot that we need to know about. What's, I, can they do flashbacks in a flash sideways? I, mean, I don't know. That's starting to get far too many dimensions and Kevin Kevin had a really good observation there I thought yeah Locke in this case his um his life mirrors Sarah's right so the question is though he's saying that it would be great that uh Jax does save Locke and get him to walk again and get him to his wedding but do you think that this story is also saying that he has that opportunity and chooses not to do it or I I don't know I mean we see Helen ripping up the card so that seems like the decision has been made well but he can just hit redial on his phone for one thing and, well yeah and, and if you believe that there's something bringing these characters together despite the fact that 815 landed safely for some reason we're seeing familiar faces crossing paths and you know basically that force might be stronger than helen ripping up the card i mean the story's probably not over there yeah well and, i don't i don't think so either right and Teresa pointing out that uh, in terms of biblical theory and we've got a lot of that coming up in you all everybody uh-huh. how about the man in black being the serpent i like that but i'm wondering who adam and eve are in the scenario well i mean in this in the scenario we watched it would probably be sire as one of them well but right i kind of like that we don't know who adam and eve is because we don't know who adam and eve is that's true in the in the cave because that's good stuff who's next we have calls now from jesse lara and matt Hey there, Ryan and Jen. It's Jesse again. The first comment I had was actually in response to what you guys wrote about the initial feedback. You had said something along the lines of the numbers represent the latest batch of candidates, but I think you're actually wrong. I think considering they have numbers like Locke is four and Shepard's 23 and in a wall with names of like uh, hundreds, if not thousands of people, who knows? So there's, there's a ton of names on that wall. This basically means then that candidate-wise... Our losties were some of the either the highest potential candidates or the ones Jacob thought up first. Uh, also, the man in black has to follow the exact same rules as Jacob. I, I think the rules are becoming more clear. He cannot force people to join him. He has to uh, make them choose. Now, he can rough them up a little bit and all that stuff, but if they say no, he can't do anything about it. He's like, all right, have fun then. So in the end, it all comes down to this. What do the candidates... What do the rules and what does the war have to do with what's going on off the island in that alt-slash-parallel-slash-whatever-reality? So anyway, love you guys, keep up the good work, and I will keep listening. Hey guys, it's Lara from Maryland. Um, I really think the season hit its stride with this episode, uh, like many people do. Uh, I really loved it from the very beginning. I loved the moment with Locke on the front lawn, uh, like in that first episode or uh, with the first rainfall on the island, and... Um, you know, Locke having, kind of having the same effect. Um, also, I don't think it's Jacob's cave at the end. I think we already saw where Jacob lived. I think this is obviously Esau's cave. Uh, I think he's been trying to figure out what Jacob's been doing and maybe how to thwart him or, you know, 
do what he's been trying to do. Uh, finally, I think that uh, the mysterious blonde boy is Jacob, um, that maybe when he burned away, he kind of, you know, reemerged uh, like a phoenix, maybe first as a little baby and, uh, uh, you know, becoming the young boy we saw. Um, I don't realize, you know, I don't understand why Esau wouldn't realize that would happen, um, but it is the first time we've seen Esau look scared. So, obviously, it's not something he was expecting, but something that, you know, happened either way. Uh, thanks, guys, for your awesome podcast, as always, and uh, hope you're having a good week. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Matt Anderson calling from Minnesota. But what I want to talk about is uh, is the scene specifically where uh, the fake lock, man in black, threw the white stone off of the scale, and it, you know, it symbolized uh, Jacob being out of the picture. So now the island is off balance because Jacob is dead. And we learned that there needs to be a replacement, and that's what the candidates are about. Uh, but I was thinking, what if Man in Black is actually manipulating Sawyer to get Sawyer to be his replacement? What if Man in Black as well needs a replacement? Uh, and uh, that's what this whole thing is about, um, with uh, trying to trick Sawyer. So then you got to think about, well, who will be the replacement? Uh, so if Sawyer becomes Man in Black's uh, replacement... I think that the best candidate for Jacob's replacement would be Jack Shepard. And so then these two who have been uh, at odds with each other since season one would be eternally struggling on the island, uh, kind of living in perpetual anger against each other. So I uh, just wanted to see what you guys thought about that. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Mahalo for those calls. Well, our good friend Jesse, well, for one, pointing out the importance of, of choice, you know, the having yeah, to choose. Right. I, I think that's kind of interesting because in that conversation, the man in black says, well, you thought that the choices you made in your life were choices, but you're, you were still directed here. Right. So I think that's kind of kind of curious that on one hand, they're pointing out the importance of choice, but he's saying at least he's suggesting that Jacob is denying that or, you know, kind of messing mm-hmm. with that choice. But why do you think that our numbers and now our losties are, I guess, lower numbers in the sequence. You've got numbers in the 200s, the 300s up there on the wall. Uh, is it that uh, our friends were the people that Jacob thought of as first in, in his list of candidates? I don't know. If I were playing a chess game and, and I had, you know, really low-numbered choices, I would start with them. Right, or if you were trying to stop him, you would probably start with them too. So it right. seems kind of strange that it looks like they're basically working their way down a list, but they're working their way from the higher numbers down. Yeah. So that is kind of curious. I, I'm not, But I, I personally hope that it, there's a little more to the answers of the significance of the numbers, but if this is as far as they go, I'm also yeah, you know, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. With that, now Lara's saying that the man in black's lying that it's not Jacob's cave, that it's probably his cave, and I, I kind of like that theory because, in a sense, maybe the crossing out of names is the man in black trying to figure out Jacob's game through process of elimination, trying to figure out who all of these players are. Well, it might belong to both of them because there are you know both the re- the white rock and the black rock, and in order for Jacob to get the joke he would have to come <laughs> in to see the rock not there that's true i think that if, if, if anything it's not one or the other it might be just sort of a place where maybe the rules of the games were discussed or or this list was put together but i don't know i think we'll learn 
because the Jacob we know hasn't even been living in the cabin. He's been living on, on the, the beach, beach all this time. True. So that could also suggest that the cave belongs to the man in black. And finally, Matt saying that, you know, I think the man in black is actually looking for a replacement as well. And so that's the, 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 the his, his recruiting is for his side of the team. Well, the thing about Sawyer is you think about what he tells Cassie, you know, you make him think it's their idea, but it's really yours. That could be what's happening there. Well, I definitely like the suggestion that, you know, Sawyer isn't signing up for the man in black that he when he says hell yeah is you know he's he's in the game is on for him he's going to try to pull a con himself so mm. what i kind of like about the idea of finding a replacement is it makes me think back to desmond and inman as you recall you know des uh, inman was waiting for his replacement desmond shows up there's a little test although it's just oh, a yeah. snowman joke yeah. but specifically the parallel is that inman actually wants to secretly get off the island and he's just happy that he's got a you know a, a, a dupe to, to take his place so mm-hmm. there, there could be a parallel to what's going on there we've got calls now from jeff rj and mike hey this is jeff gentry calling in from north carolina i just want to put my little theory out there um smoky anti-jacob whoever you want to call him cannot leave the island on his own a candidate touched by jacob is the only person that can take him off the island uh, it kind of goes along with the rules, just like he couldn't directly kill Jacob. So I think he has to have a candidate to take him off the island. Um, I don't know who set up the rules and why it does, but uh, that's my little theory. Uh, looking forward to hearing your reaction and looking forward to the podcast. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is RJ from West Fork, Rhode Island, and I have a theory for you. So here it is. Um, Man in Black takes on the shape of Locke, and since Locke died, I think that Man in Black can no longer change shape, and I think that this is what they mean when they say that he's stuck. I think they mean that he's stuck in Locke's form because Locke is dead, and with that being said, I think that when Man in Black is stuck, they slowly begin to adapt the personalities and the traits of the person that they're taking shape of. And I think that Man in Black will slowly become more like Locke until he is Locke. Well, he won't be Locke, but he'll be an exact copy of Locke. And there's an example of this happening when Man in Black says, you know, don't tell me what I can't do. When he said that, I think everyone, you know, thought that was kind of suspicious. And I think that this is how they're going to bring Locke back into the show on the island. Because I don't think he's down on the island. But now he'll have the ability to become the smoke monster, and I think that that'll be interesting. So that's my theory. Thanks, and keep up the podcast. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Mike from Grand Rapids, Michigan. First wanted to say thanks for the podcast. I appreciate all your work. Been listening for several years. First time calling. When the man in black yelled furiously at the boy in the jungle, don't tell me what I can't do, this immediately made me think of all the times Locke said this in the past and all his passionate attempts at doing important things, however always failing. My theory starts with the man in black telling Sawyer that he can become the new Jacob and protect the island, then proceeding to tell him that he would be protecting it from nothing and that this is the joke, it's just a damn island. I think that the man in black truly believes this, and he will discover, just as Locke did when he smashed the computer in the hatch as the countdown ended, that he is wrong. So when the man in black finds out that the island indeed does need to be protected, we will see the man in black yelling, I was wrong. 
This will inevitably lead to the island being submerged underwater, as we saw in the season opener. Thanks again. Keep up the great work, guys. Mahalo for those calls. Our good friend Jeff saying that a candidate touched by Jacob is the only person who could take him out the island. And do you mm. figure that's what's going on? It could be. Well, we just had that theory that, uh, you know, the man in black is actually looking for his replacement. And also the way that the man in black says, you know, we'll get off this island together. I mean, it's the man in black. It, it almost sounds like, you yeah. know, in a movie when one bank robber says to another bank robber, when we get out of here, we're going to run off together. And of course, uh-huh. the last scene is what he shoots the other guy. Right. So part of me is not necessarily sure if that's the case. And if it was about getting a candidate to take him off the island you know he says you wouldn't believe what i went through to get here and that's clearly the big long con that he played on Locke. yeah if Locke was a candidate there could have been an easier way for the man in black to get Locke to take him off the island if that were necessarily that's the true. case so but a good thought um rj from rhode island do you think there's a little bit of lock left in the man in black uh, yeah i i absolutely think so well i mean the line certainly seems to be a dead giveaway but it, it you know we've heard about the uh, darkness claiming saeed and he won't be the person that we know uh-huh. so it'd be kind of interesting if the process isn't reversed to some extent for whatever's happening with the man in black being stuck as john Locke. is that eventually he's going to be john Locke. <laughs> i like that that's yeah, one way to get too. him back and mike from grand rapids uh, kind of a neat way to say how it might play out that uh, the man in black's you know delusion about it not being important is just like you know Locke's delusion about the button not being important yeah that that's true if we're going to be mirroring everything that's that's happened thus far that's a really good scenario absolutely who's next we now have calls from Dieter Brian and Lori hey guys this is Dieter from Spokane Washington just called to uh, make a couple comments on the last episode the substitute of uh, season six of Lost uh, it was a pretty good one I thought it was great to see Helen Helen's shirt was cool in that second scene where it said peace and karma kind of goes along with the whole theme Randy Nations, over in this episode, a douche as always, and was called so by uh, Mr. Hugo Reyes, which kind of cracked me up, kind of reminded me of, in the beginning of season four, Randy Nations was working for Klux, and he was recording a video uh, of Hurley when he was driving by, so maybe uh, he's going to get demoted to work at uh, Mr. Klux for the way he treated Locke. That would be interesting to see. Funny note, uh, does Sawyer ever wash his underwear? Looks to me like he soiled his pants. Good thing you put those things back on. All right, take care, guys. Keep them coming. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Brian in Indiana. I just called to throw out, I guess, what I would call a few crackpot theories, but uh, I don't really think they'll be the case, but they're at least worth discussing. First of all, when Locke's body was laying there on the beach in the last episode, they showed a spider crawling down off of his bald head and kind of reminiscent of Nick Impalo and concept of being buried alive. And so I didn't know if that was an Easter egg laid there that Locke's being buried alive somehow. Uh, another thing I had a thought about was in the cave with the names, they um, specifically mentioned Quan being two Quans, Jen and Son, on the island, but there's also, I guess technically, two shepherds on the island, and one being Jack and the other being Christian. So maybe Christian is uh, is who that's talking about. Now again, I don't think so, but thought I'd throw it out there. Uh, if you could mention it and talk about it, be interested to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Bye bye. Hey Ryan and Jen, this is Lori from Los Angeles. Long time no see. Hey, just got done watching this week's episode and definitely created a lot of conversation with the group that we watch with. Um, I won't say that we felt like it was filler, but I think we're definitely being set up. It felt like a setup 
episode, like for something bigger. And let me just say it now. I personally think that we are getting ready to see Sawyer die. I think they're setting him up for a spectacular sacrificial death, but I think what we're seeing is a man that has nothing to live for. And so I think the way they're going to redeem his character is by taking him out in some way that he sacrifices himself to save the island and to save his friends. So just wanted to say that. Um, love your show. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. And Dieter saying, uh, what's the deal with Sawyer's dirty drawers? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm actually shocked at the amount of conversation that that brief shot of the backside of his pants has sparked out there. Actually, okay. not his pants because he talks about putting on pants. But I guess if you're a guy who's got nothing left to lose, that in- that includes your dignity. Well, I do like the idea of Randy being back at Mr. Cluck's. Right. I mean, I think if you've got uh, things that are inevitable and, uh, you know, some things kind of repeat, then that'd be kind of great for the guy who's a huge I, douche. But I want to watch that. I want to see somebody... Fire Randy. Bring him down? Absolutely. Brian in Indiana says, do you think that uh, the spider was a sign that it's a Nikki and Paulo with John Locke? I thought it was a crab. No, it was a spider, but I think I told you it was a crab because you're afraid of spiders. Oh, okay. No, I think they also said that he's getting a little ripe, so Uh I don't think there's there's any doubt that John Locke is dead. And finally, Laurie in Los Angeles kind of predicting that we're seeing the early, you know, foreshadowings of of a death, an end for our friend Sawyer. I love Sawyer. He's I, come so far. Well, I mean, I think that if there's any character that right now, especially with the great performance that Josh Holloway has been giving mm-hmm. us, that we want to see a point of redemption and turnaround would be for him. Like what she's saying that it could be a heroic that, you know, he's 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 going to realize that it's important to save his friends and uh-huh. the people on the island. But gosh, I don't think I'm, I'm ready to say that he, he'd be someone that they're going to check out. And, oh, I hope not. And I think there are a lot of fans who would probably riot in the streets if that was the case. Well, we got a lot more calls, 20 megabytes of calls this week and of course I want to thank some extras Jackie from North Carolina Barry in Wisconsin Eric from Sedona who had a Star Trek theory Mm -hmm. Alex from Torrance who I missed at Sunset on the Beach and even Dan from Lost Casting with Wayne and Dan but we're already at our hour mark so I want to move on to our blog and email comments Aaron from Scotland writes since the Jacob flashbacks we've all been talking about Jacob nudging our losties and influencing their lives in the substitute we see fake Locke telling Sawyer about the numbers and about Jacob visiting them pretty much confirming that he influenced them all to come to the island because they are candidates. Why then did he visit Kate? She's not on the list. So why did he visit her? And I think that's a very good question. Do you have any theories as to why that might be? Not really, no. Well, I mean, I think that there are a couple of ways to look at it. One, maybe there's someone off the books that uh, Unlock doesn't know about, and that'd be kind of cool, so she becomes a a secret player. The other way to look at it is maybe that when we saw Jacob visiting them at the end of Season 5, that was another go-round. That was another try and another set of candidates, or, you know, again, that it's different from what Unlock is presuming is, you know, they're they're at a different point in the game that he thinks they are. But it is curious and it is also good to point out that you know Jacob did visit a couple of our crash survivors before, you know after they returned to the island uh, oh right he visited Saeed and Hurley after the crash right after they got back so even that doesn't seem like necessarily touching them and nudging them uh, to be on 815 it was sort of nudging them to come back to the island in the oh, current right, timeline right. so there's something definitely interesting happening there Mike B in Michigan writes I have a crazy theory about the numbers the candidates and why Kate's name isn't in the clear 
cliffside cave, I'm thinking that when Jacob is replaced, Smokey would probably need to be replaced as well. I think there has to be a balance with the light and the dark. I think that the love that Unlock said he had could have been for Jacob, not romantically, but as best friends forever sort of way. Maybe the replacement should be the replacements. I think there's, I think they are pairs, like Adam and Eve. Every name that was touched by Jacob is in the cave except Kate. So maybe Kate's name wasn't in the cave because Jacob felt she was already tied to Jack or Sawyer or even Aaron. Oh, yeah, that's true. So you true. think that the, the cave might actually be half of the team and there's another half? You know, there's, 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 a, there's a parallel or a pair to each name on that wall? Maybe there's people and then there's the people's constants well it could be that too i mean obviously the you know Jin and son the quans are a pair uh-huh. and we did and there were people that said the names were mostly male maybe there's another cave where the names are mostly female could be interesting thought michelle in new york writes in terms of who you can't kill him refers to i'll say that it's richard unlock seems to be gearing up to do something nasty when richard rejected him people seldom get a second chance maybe even ending richard right then and there but he's interrupted by the vision of the bloody boy the next time the boy appears he is conveniently just in time to lead unlock away and prevent him from running into richard richard can't see this boy because the message is for unlock about him since richard seems to have been kept in the dark about an uncomfortably large amount of information it would make sense that the conversations regarding him and regarding the rules would be kept be kept out of his awareness well actually that's a good point i mean basically if you look at those encounters with the boy in a different way it seems like it could be to protect Richard. Yeah, it could be. And actually, that might explain why he's so scared and running away, because maybe he even knows that because of whatever happened, having happened, that he's the next target. He's next on a list somewhere. Well, if the if the boy is trying to protect Richard, he would be Jacob then, I would think. Hmm, that's actually a good point as well. Gwen's dad writes, A scene that I've been thinking about since watching the episode is when Sawyer offers Unlock a drink. Unlock doesn't drink it, of course, but he's obviously curious about the alcohol. He even goes so far as to taste the little bit off his finger when the shot glass spills. Now, whatever Unlock is, I'm guessing he doesn't need food or drink to survive. But we've also seen him eat a mango on the beach, so maybe he can't partake in alcoholic beverages. Maybe he didn't just want to drink out of fear of clouding his decision-making during the recruiting visit. Or maybe it just wasn't his brand. Anyway, I just thought the level of curiosity he had about the drink was interesting. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. Well, I thought that it sort of seemed, you know, he, he there's a key element when he says, I used to be a man like you, uh-huh. and whatever he is, he's not a man anymore. But now that he's possessing a body or a form, not a body, now that he's stuck that way, I guess he's sort of trying to figure out his senses or what's going on. But yeah. it, 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 it was definitely, a, it was a good catch by uh, Gwen's dad as to what something being something being significant there. Russell from California writes, Since I'm from the school that believes no scene in a lost episode is irrelevant, I started thinking about the brief moment where off-island Locke is seen coaching the young girls' basketball squad. As a basketball player myself, I am all too familiar with the exhausting drills they were doing where you run back and forth from baseline to baseline. They're called suicides. Mm. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> I thought that, that's a pretty good point. And also he's saying like, dig it up, dig it up. And there's a, uh-huh. there's a whole thing about burying things on oh, the island as right, well. Right. So very cool stuff. Tedman from L.A. writes, When I saw the scene of the black and white rocks on the scale, I automatically thought about the Black Rock ship. Since there was a vehicle named the Black Rock, perhaps there's a vehicle that represents the White Rock? <laughs> Could that be the airplane that the Losties come to the island on? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think that might be a little literal, but also, you know, again, if we're talking about parallels or mirroring, yeah. then why not the airplane sort of being the other vessel? And Kiara on the blog also kind of made the same observation. She's a local fan as well. A quick uh, exchange on the blog that I thought 
thought was funny. Matt from North Dakota wrote that if Sawyer becomes the new Jacob, any future candidates will be given funny nicknames. And uh, Soko said yes, but the cave walls would then say names like Freckles, Dr. Giggles, Jabba, Froger, Amelia Earhart, and Crouching Tiger, and no one would be able to figure out the clues. Dr. So, Giggles, I, I still love I love that one. <laughs> Lauren from Virginia writes, theories are swirling about who that boy in the jungle was. However, I have been more curious about the fact that the man in black seems frightened by the appearances of the child. I believe the child represents birth and new life. I think this may be linked to a larger ongoing battle between Jacob and the man in black. Jacob lived in a statue dedicated to birth, seems tied to a fountain of eternal life, and has brought new life to Locke after his fall. On the other hand, the man in black has killed many and deals in fake life, such as taking Locke's form. This sounds like a greater struggle between life and death, but one where neither are necessarily good or evil. I think that life and death, birth and children will have an important role to play in the rest of this season. Well, I, th- I think those are good observations. I mean, certainly when we're talking about the good and the bad and the light and the dark, uh, a key point that is repeatedly brought up by a number of, of, of listeners and, and fans of the show is that they're not necessarily, maybe we're not talking about one defeating the other, that the ultimate you know end is that they're supposed to be there together mm-hmm. and it's being out of balance that's actually the primary threat that we're facing here. Gavin in Pearl City says people always debate about which one is evil Jacob or his nemesis, but what if the island itself is the true evil? It has been manipulating groups of people for many years, people who have been trying to learn its secrets and harness its power for their own selfish gains. This quest for power has ultimately led to many deaths. What if, in the last episode, the remaining people on the island decide to destroy it instead of continuing to play its games? This would explain how the island ended up underwater in the Flash Sideways. So the Flash Sideways aren't a result of Juliet detonating the bomb, but rather the end product of destroying the island. So what do you think? The island is actually the primary problem here, the evil in the story? I can see that because it seems like the island corrupted... The, the survivors who are the Oceanic Six, you know, it really um, it really negatively affected their lives off the island. Right, so, and we can presume the same thing happened to the people on the Black Rock or right. even people maybe on the balloon. Who knows how the story with them turned out. So I can see that. It kind of reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. And, you know, the ring is gives somebody massive amounts of power, but because it always corrupts and ends badly, the actual solution is to destroy the ring. Yeah. And here it is to destroy the island. Ben writes, Jacob and Unlock do not represent God versus Satan. Rather, they represent angels, one fallen and the other good. The ladder leading to Jacob's cave is representative of the biblical narrative in Genesis 28, where the biblical Jacob sees angels ascending and descending. Unlock very well may be Satan, but just remember, Satan is a fallen angel. For all those who argue he might still be good, I ask, what does Satan tempt Adam and Eve with? Knowledge. What does he tempt Richard and Sawyer with? Knowledge. I believe we will see his story of the cave, Jacob and the candidates, is merely truth twisted for deception. Satan loves to work with the truth and then he twists for his own purpose. Well, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people and one of the earliest debates on our blog for this episode was that it's the, you know, it's the story of, of, of God and Satan or good and evil. But uh-huh. certainly the parallels with Genesis 28 uh, caught a lot of people. Uh, Brad from uh, East Lansing and even Emily from Colorado cited the same passage. And I went and read it and it almost sounds like they're describing the cave that we're talking about 
here. Mm-hmm. So there might be something to that. But uh, some people don't believe in the biblical uh, translation. Carol from Boston cites Egyptian mythology, and he, you know, she notes that Egyptian gods were once human, the same way that Unlock says he was. Aaron from Scotland pointed to a book series by Sergei Lukyanenko about a battle between light others and dark others and rules and choosing sides, although I think that sounds like a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. And Eric from New York actually said that everything so far reminded him of the video game Myst and the plot from that video game, which had feuding brothers and stemming from daddy issues. And of course, there was a mysterious cave with ladders, and there was, in fact, an island that people were dropped on mysteriously and having to find their way around. So, I mean, there's people are seeing a lot of stories in the story that we're trying to parse. Colin from Nova Scotia writes, I think I figured out what the twist of this season is. I think we're seeing the end of the show right now. Typically, a show or movie follows the same formula when it comes to endings. The typical ending would be showing the climax of the war and then spending the last five minutes summing up everyone's life and how they changed and turned out as a result. If they did lost in this typical way, then they would have spent only five minutes on wrapping everyone's life up, which isn't enough and everyone would have been angry. Or if they spent the last 30 minutes wrapping up everyone's life everyone would have been angry over how slow and boring the ending was well what damon and carlton may be doing is showing us how everyone's lives turned out after the war at the same time as they're showing the lead up to the war this allows them to show more of how everyone's life turned out and still give people the excitement of the war well i mean i kind of like that basic narrative explanation for what they're trying to pull here and like the two things will meet in the middle well i mean the way that i would you know i i always felt that you know they've been so overt about saying that this, this is not a parallel timeline or uh-huh. different timelines that you know that they're both valid and one way for that to happen is for them to actually still be in the same universe but for that to happen it was uh-huh. confusing me because what's happening on the island is 2007 and what's happening um, off the island is 2004 so right. i couldn't figure out how you could connect the start of one to the end of the other but, you know, even Gavin from Pro City kind of made the same point. We have the mark on Jack's neck when he's on the airplane. Mm-hmm. All we have to see is in this war on the island between Jacob and the man in black and everything coming together and one final confrontation where Jack gets his neck nicked. And then oh, they say, yeah. okay, uh, and then, you know, whatever the climax is. And that's the end of the series. But because we see that, we know that what we've been now watching for the entire, you know, flash sideways is the denouement. You know, it's that last part of the movie. It's that last part of every story that has this comment says is sometimes a waste of time or Mm -hmm. it's sometimes the happy ending as the camera pulls back and we all kind of feel good about what's happening so i I really kind of like the the, that sort of explanation for it and i I have to note that paul from france tried very hard to explain this exact same idea but i wasn't fully understanding it but again i I, i'd be happy if that's what they're doing here finally i uh, wanted to have a little fun with sound effects because david wanted to talk about the the flash sounds now Mm -hmm. for all of lost until season five we've had sort of the same sound effect that building whoosh that we hear before you know when we switch to flashback to a flash forward mm-hmm. it's sort of modified a little bit but definitely in season five it's very different so david writes about the side flash noise at first you could hear what sounded like an airplane flying past underneath the bigger effect but in this last episode i noticed another noise just after the temp agency scene it sounds like wood creaking on a ship kind of like oh i don't know a 19th century sailing ship we might know of actually that's kind of mm. cool because that's how two of the groups got to the island so i had to go and pick it apart this is what the flash sideways sound effect sounded like in lax (sighs) 
So that was the flash sideways transition in the premiere. I can hear the airplane. It kind of sounds like it might be breaking up. Or yeah, the sort of sounds broken or the, something's definitely, you know, not right. But here uh-huh. is the whoosh sound from this last episode. So what do you think? Whoa, creepy. That, that is definitely, I mean, that's a significant, you know, addition to that transition. And they yeah. used it several times. Actually, we first hear that creak in what Kate does. It was actually last week where they first pulled that. Oh. So it definitely sounds like a wooden creaking ship. It also kind of sounds that, you know, as, as you had mentioned, it sounds a little broken. It sounds like uh-huh. that this transition is, you know, wrong or rough or, you know, has a jagged edge to it. Uh-huh. So I definitely think they're trying to send us a mes- message there. But I definitely want to thank David for pointing that Very out. Very cool. As always, we enjoyed every thought that you shared with us, even though we could only include a little tiny fraction of it in this podcast. There were over 260 comments on the blog, about 20 megabytes of voicemails, like Ryan said, and almost 100 emails. Still, our favorite part of the podcast is you all, everybody. So please don't forget to join the conversation after the next new episode. Post your thoughts on the blog at whatyup.com slash lost. And we really recommend that. It's a great conversation happening there. You yeah. can also email us at lost at whatyup.com or call and leave a message on the Lost Line. Remember, we blog late on Tuesday night after each new episode here in Honolulu. That's for those who can't wait to get an early taste of what we'll be talking about on the podcast when we post it on Sunday. But once again, I do want to give a quick programming note because I'll be traveling on two separate trips in March. We actually won't be releasing full episodes of the transmission at that time. Instead, Jen and I will do a quick initial reactions podcast. And, you know, that means they'll probably be very woefully incomplete and it's definitely going to prove how much we need you all everybody to set us straight but we just don't want to miss two consecutive weeks of the best show on television so for those episodes more than ever be sure to visit the blog where you'll find a veritable torrent of great commentary and theories from other fans coming up in about three minutes we'll enter the forward cabin but right now we have the latest song from the others lost band covering the last episode that we saw last week what kate does and it's called A Growing Darkness. I guess it worked, now he's alive. What happened to me? Sayed, you died, you're lightheaded. Welcome to the temple that's Dogen and Lennon. It's the others, dude, they caught us again. Hurley assumed a leadership position. Thank you, Jack, for saving me. And Dogen said that. And I can be convincing when I want to be I'm always on the run, gotta get Claire to her son I guess that some of us are meant to be alone Would you believe I'm innocent? Aaron's a great name, you should keep him And Sawyer, I'm sorry about Julia Science being tortured, got electrodes on him So we are sure Well there's spirit of a smoke It makes a ticker ticker sound There's a decoy trail And some traps were found How the says can't remember me You hit me with 
the gun outside room 23 But he's infected to so give this pill to your friend Redeem yourself Jack or the infection will spread And I can be convincing when I want to be I'm always on the run, gotta get clarity to a son I guess that some of us are meant to be alone Would you believe I'm innocent? Aaron's a great name, you should keep him And Sawyer, I'm sorry about Julia No angels singing, no white light No dead relatives, you're not a zombie, right? Side only cares about who we trust We'll be in the food court if you need us Nogan likes baseball, needs no translation The fact that we were brought in is no explanation Jack tries to swallow a poison pill That Dogen made for side so he would be killed they wanna kill him cause of the growing darkness there Cause he's been claimed just like your sister Claire And I can be convincing when I wanna be I'm always on the run, gotta get Claire to her son I guess that some of us are meant to be alone Would you believe I'm innocent? That was A Growing Darkness by The Others Lost Band. Good stuff. Yeah, they're a great, great band. Stuff. They're based out in Boston, and they write a song based on every episode of Lost, and A Growing Darkness was based on episode three of season six, What Kate Does. Now, did you know that The Others actually have a subscription service for their hardest core fans? Really? And actually, the name of the service is Transmissions from The Others. So oh, cool. I think that our partnership was just meant to be, and we definitely <laughs> want to thank them for letting us share their music on our podcast. If you want to find out more about The Others Lost Band or transmissions from The Others, you can find their website at theothers.thethungs.com and I'll have that link for you in the show notes on our blog at whatyup.com slash lost. But now we're entering the forward cabin where we look forward on lost and first up of course is next week's episode. What's it called? Episode 5 of season 6 is titled Lighthouse. The synopsis reads Hurley must convince Jack to accompany him on an unspecified mission and Jin stumbles across an old friend. Well there you go. Um, Well Jin did stumble across an old friend already but maybe there's another old friend and well I don't know that synopsis is at least twice as long as the last few so (laughs) I'm happy for that. Well that's it for this upcoming week and that means it's time for the filming reports this is your last chance you spoiler averse folks if you don't want to know you might want to skip this part let's start with actually last week uh, February 10th last Wednesday it turns out listeners to this podcast Matt and his wife Jill were actually here and they watched them film a scene on police Beach. We actually reported on this scene last week, but they got a few more details. They were at a small camp, and there were smoldering fires and a large pit in the sand, and what looked like several dead temple others scattered all around the beach. So a big blast had apparently happened, and Locke, or Unlock, I would imagine, marches in, grabs somebody, and picks him up and carries him into the jungle. And that was pretty much the scene, but it was still pretty cool. I got some photos from them, and I posted it on my Flickr page. Um, the person that he 
grabs is uh, wearing a black shirt and black pants and wearing a black backpack with short black hair. Um, the From my guess, it looks like it might either be Miles. I think that was Matt's guess as well. But it could also be Jack if you kind of look at how all of our characters have been dressed on the island. Jack actually fits that the closest, particularly with the backpack. So there was an explosion. There are others scattered everywhere. And it looks like Locke comes and picks up somebody, Jack or Miles, and hauls him off. So thanks to uh, Matt and Jill for sharing the report and those photos. Now, last weekend, February 13th, visiting fan Amy took the Kualoa Ranch tour, a great tour that our friend Ed Koz does. And if you ever come to Hawaii and you need a lost tour, and, you know, we're not doing tours, you can check <laughs> out uh, Ed Koz. And anyway, she took their tour, and they were building a kind of house or a cottage right there on the ranch. It was fairly symmetrical. It had kind of a thatched roof and uh, rock pillars at the corners, but there was no understanding or no idea what it was was but still if you want to take a look at it again i posted a photo on my Flickr page flickr.com slash hawaii now on to this week it started uh, because of a holiday on tuesday february the 16th and they were filming at rehab hospital of the pacific that's in kalihi actually up above downtown honolulu on kuakini street and jack and Locke were definitely the most visible people for that shoot jack was there in a suit and Locke was there wearing a light blue collared shirt and he had a square bandage on the left side of his head in addition, pregnant Claire was spotted by a visiting fan Cat, and uh, but that was down at the trailers nearby. But she was probably in the same scene. And uh, specifically, the rehab hospital was renamed the Sun Palms Nursing Home, and that's according to Chris, who posted it on Twitter. But apparently, Helen was also there, and Anthony. Cooper. So, Ooh. yes, he is back as well. And could it be that maybe Jack's dad and Locke's dad are in the same care home? I mean, I, that that could be one way to explain it. But why would Claire be there? I mean, does she know her dad? I mean, there could be a lot of stuff going on. Um, they were back there the next day as well on Wednesday um, with largely the same cast, although Claire's name was not on the trailer anymore. It said Jin. And uh, somebody else actually said that the scene was at a hospital, not at a care home. So maybe somebody was wrong or maybe it's two different sets using the same building or who knows but definitely some interesting names and faces turning up here in the sideways timeline on thursday february 18th they were back at the uh, moli'i fish ponds near tropical farms at kualoa near kualoa ranch and it was specifically a scene featuring the sleek black submarine so this is a, a different submarine than the galaga as we reported on it last year but it's back on the island or at the island maybe bringing somebody or taking someone away uh, David P. actually went down to check it out. He went to Kualoa Beach Park next door and actually basically hiked through the jungle to watch from across the way. He says that in one scene, a man helps a lady out of the submarine. Uh, they weren't immediately familiar, though. They were dressed in regular clothes, uh, not others' rags or anything. I think that the woman coming out was Sun, but that's just based on the wardrobe and other notes. In another scene, Sawyer, Kate, Hurley, and somebody else are running down the pier toward the submarine. And uh, Sawyer and Kate had hand guns. Uh, Hurley was wearing a dark brown shirt and Sawyer was wearing a dark navy blue shirt and jeans and uh, there were also three gunshots fired but it wasn't clear from where but it appears that our friends are on the run or perhaps running to the submarine from someone pursuing them and finally a last scene at the submarine was with Terry O'Quinn walking down to the pier to the sub 
carrying a long square box that required two people to carry. It wasn't a coffin or anything readily recognizable. And uh, David said he didn't know what the, who the other person was that was carrying the box with him. But mm. basically, uh, Unlock, it would appear, is delivering something to this submarine. Mm. Also that day, Hurley or Jorge Garcia was uh, basically walking back and forth on top of the sub by himself. But it wasn't clear if that was for a scene or if he was just checking it out. And Frank and Saeed were also there. But uh, David said he didn't see them film anything but i do want to thank david for that report and for basically getting through the brush to watch them film and finally on friday there was filming at police beach first Um, there was richard alpert there and there were some tables and some food and knives and well actually it turns out that this was a promo that they were filming for the food network so watch for that but but fortunately fortunately that wasn't the only filming taking place although it's kind of cool that they're doing that partnership it actually turns out there was actual lost filming going on down the beach closer toward holly eva actually a lot of filming. First, they filmed a quick scene with Hurley and Sawyer on the beach, but then they moved inland to the old Haleiwa airfield to finally use that giant Ajira Airlines airplane that they built out there, and we've been waiting to see them do something with. Now, first, a group comes out of the jungle to the clearing next to the plane. It's Jack, Kate, Sawyer, and probably Claire and Son. Um, Saeed and Hurley were also there in the wings, but maybe not in that group, but in any case, they come out of the jungle to the plane. Then there was a scene that they filmed over and over maybe 20 times, and it's Terry O'Quinn as presumably Unlock. He's wearing a green shirt and pants with a knife on like he's been dressed, and he's standing in the doorway of the plane. Then he descends down a wooden bamboo ladder, a very familiar-looking ladder, to the group waiting down below. He says something to them and then basically takes off. Uh, Claire, and uh, she's actually still looking wild with her uh, hair and her rifle over her shoulder, she follows him first, and behind her, Saeed follows as well. Next, Sawyer turns to say something to somebody, probably one of his uh, one-liner quips, probably Jack sitting on the ground, and then follows after Claire and Saeed. Then the sun began to set and they moved out to the beach. They weren't done and they set up near a blackstone building and Jack Bender was there pacing around on the beach and uh, somebody said it was a scene actually for episode 15. And that's significant because of course there's only 16 episodes in the season so we're in the end game even though that last episode is two hours long. We're basically moving into production of the third to the last hour of our favorite TV show. In any case, it was dark by the time action was called and in the scene... Jack pulls an unconscious Sawyer out of the ocean and tries to revive him. And yes, that's Jack giving him his trademark CPR. Meanwhile, Hurley and an injured or weak Kate stagger along the beach to collapse near them. And Hurley was helping Kate along because it seemed like all four of them basically had been through something pretty big. But unfortunately, the crew cleared the whole area, so we'll have to wait and see how things turn out for Sawyer there. But big thanks to David and and Nuno, who basically pretty much spent 12 hours following and watching them that day and getting sunburned to boot. And uh, finally, a closing note I just heard from Nuno today. This is Saturday, and they actually went on the Lost Tour, and they came across a number of the main cast at the original crash site. Uh, But it wasn't a Lost shoot. It wasn't Food Network either, but rather was actually a photo shoot for Vanity fair. So, of course, everyone looked especially fabulous, and Locke, Ben, Hurley, Claire, Sawyer, Jack, and Kate were there, and uh, Nuno was actually able to take photos with a few of them. Uh, Not Jack or 
Kate. But in any case, huh. it was a great treat. And so watch for that. I mean, I think basically we're going to be seeing a lot of these partnerships popping up because as the show reaches its end, a lot of these other media platforms and properties are want to kind of get get in on that action. Mm-hmm. So we're probably going to be seeing a lot of lost everywhere. But that's it for the filming reports for this week. And that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. This show is powered by you all, everybody. So please be sure to join the conversation on the blog after the episode airs on Tuesday night. Some of the comments there are like blog entries in themselves. Yeah, good stuff. Just amazing stuff. So please share your thoughts with everyone or... You can send us an email or call the Lost Line. As always, we appreciate the reviews on iTunes, and we're always available for some talk story on Twitter. I'm at Hawaii, and Jen's at Mrs. Hawaii. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jen Ozawa. And I'm facebook.com slash Ozawa. It's been a heck of a ride still, and we're really glad that you're joining for us on this epic adventure. Talk to you soon. Stay lost. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.